Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. We can teach kids and they get it. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. That's the recipe for success. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome, welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. And this is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show, so if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, the number to call is 470-ASK-BILL. That's 470-275-2355. Ask Bill. And make sure to check my social handles and Stitcher Twitter for when to call. So looking forward to reading your comments and questions. Now, today I am joined, of course, as I always am, by science writer, editor, and dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Hello, Corey. Hello, Bill. Bill, it's great to be here. It's great to be able to sit down and talk with you about the fact that I worry, Bill. I worry about everything, about everything coming to an end, the end of human life, the end of our planet. And yet I'm also fascinated, maybe even a little thrilled by the idea of the end of the world. Uh, you have an obsession, I think. Hmm. In 1999, and you know, I'm thinking about this for the first time. When I was a kid, I imagined that the year 2000, by then I'd be an adult and all these things in my life would be all figured out. They weren't all figured out. So maybe I was feeling kind of apocalyptic. The fear of Y2K. It's hard to remember now, especially for some of our younger listeners who maybe weren't so plugged in at the time. But uh, so I was an editor at Discovery Magazine back then. We were celebrating the 20th anniversary of the magazine. And the editor said, hey, let's come up with some 20 themed articles the way editors do. Well, that's very editorial. Sure. And I said, "Uh, how about 20 ways the world could end? He said, you can't come up with 20 ways the world could end scientifically. (laughs) By the end of the meeting, I said, "Uh, by the way, I'm I'm at number 33 and I'm Mm. still going. I ended up writing an article called 20 Ways the World Could End, which I personally feel excited to say was one of the first of what turned out to be a long line of apocalyptic eschatology-themed articles and became a little pet fascination of mine. Of course it did. That's that's not creepy at all. Yeah, eschatology, I like to call it. Eschatology. Yes. Can you spell that for the listener? No, I cannot. So one of the cool things that I learned in the course of my eschatology, or the study of the end of days, the word apocalypse, which I always took to mean disaster, the way it's used. Or uh, end of everything. Yeah, the end of everything. It actually means uncovering or revelation in the religious sense that 
the apocalypse is the end of this world where the flimsy reality that we live in right now gets yanked away and some bigger, deeper reality, you know, the second is, coming, the, the coming of the afterlife Revelation is, is, is where we reveal yes. the truth about whatever the heck. Right. And the, you know, the book of Revelation in the New Testament is where a lot of this idea comes from. Wow. Uh, so today, unlike other castings of our humble science rule pods, my co-host, our very own Corey S. Powell, transcends his role Ooh. as co-host and producer and becomes our guest, our expert. As we begin, I think we'd all agree that when it comes to people, Corey included, every one of us does not want to die. Furthermore, we generally don't want everyone to die. So this brings us, of course, <clears throat> to uh, some questions. Yes. Some questions from our, our listeners out there. Asa, are you out there? Yes. Oh. I'm on the line. Hello, Asa. And where are you calling from, Asa? I'm calling from Austin, New York. So, Asa, you have a question. Yes, I do. So, my question is, do you think the apocalypse will start because of climate, famine, war, or disease? Take it, Corey. Oh, wow. Thank you for giving me four different uh, horsemen of the apocalypse to choose from. Let me try to rank them and how much I worry about each of those. Famine, strangely, I would say I worry about that the least. We already have a significant food supply for the whole planet. We have a significant distribution problem, but we don't really have a supply problem. And I think I can see the technologies on the horizon that will be able to feed a planet with 10 billion people. With uh, disease, there's certainly a lot of concern that we're running into the limits of our antibiotics. Uh, but I mean, there's no precedent in the history of life on Earth that we can see where disease wipes out an entire Ev species. Everything. Everything. Even if it wipes out 90% of the people, that would suck for most of the people on the planet, but it wouldn't be the end of humanity. War and climate change are, those are tougher ones to get your hand around because war we know could kill most or all of the people on Earth. And you what know, really, wouldn't uh, Mad Max be driving around? Yeah, but is that really who you want as your remnant of humanity? Of course not. Uh, but look, so you know, when people talk about that climate change could destroy the world, they really mean kind of destroy society as it is right now, that it's going to be very expensive, disruptive, um, very hard, especially on people in poorer countries and low-lying countries. As much as I imagine someday Earth will be like Venus, in the near term, I don't think climate change is the existential threat. I think it's a very, very serious sociological, personal, political problem, but I don't think it's an existential threat. War potentially is an existential threat. And all we can do is, you know, pay attention to the things that we do with treaties, political solutions, agreements. with international agreements. That still I mean, the, leaves one more that uh, Asa didn't touch on, Corey. Is that the self-robotic kill-us-all machine situation? Oh, the fifth horseman, the sort yes. of like the Zeppo of the horseman. That's a very, very old reference for uh, those of you who are fans of the Marx Brothers. I don't worry about that as something that's going to bring the end of humanity. I think that could – that's another thing that could make a lot of people's lives really uh, miserable. But I don't think that's going to be the existential end of Homo sapiens. So of those five, which is your number one? What is? What should Asa count on for the end of the world? I, I'm voting for war. war. Uh, Way to go, Asa. Thanks. What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You could say that again. <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Asa, that is a great question. I very much appreciate you calling in. Thank you for taking the time. It sets me up perfectly for where I want to go because I'm about to lay out the five top ways that I think the world could end. 
end of the world number one, alien invasion. One of the reasons that, you know, the space alien invasion movies always seem so silly to me is, well, if you're coming from one country to another country on Earth, the reason why you need resources is pretty obvious. But if you're a space alien with the resources to travel light years between okay, the stars. Okay, what if you run out of gas <laughs> and you need you need uh, an ocean or something I, or corn? That's more important. Yeah, what if, if you if, need corn? Listen, if you need corn, there aren't that many places to go. If you want a pizza, there aren't that many places to go. But if you need, you know, like water or hydrogen or you know uranium, almost anything you can think of, you don't particularly need the Earth. Well, but you're not going to go to Jupiter, Jupiter or Saturn to get uranium. It's, it's too much gravity. It's just trouble. There's no place to land. I'd go to Mercury, personally. For uranium? Yes. Well, maybe that's they a, do, and we don't even know. Yeah, but Mercury's a much said, better place. Continue more end of the world. Right. So alien invasion, I don't think, is a very likely end of the world. So here's end of the world number two, and that would be a killer plague. Plague is another big category, which can be anything from, I mean, zombie apocalypse movies are sort of one type of plague fear. We know that plagues really do happen. We know that bubonic plague... Black Plague uh, killed something like a third of the people in Europe. We don't know of a plague that could wipe out every human, but it's not an entirely inconceivable scenario. You can also think about... You know, what about apes taking over? I would call that an internal alien invasion. It's, it's, it's different than a, than a plague. Although uh, the, uh, the rebooted Planet of the Apes movies kind of put the two together, that it was a plague uh, among humans that allowed, right. the, yeah. allowed the apes to take over. It accidentally over. created this magical virus. Right. That, mm. But the advantage of fearing something like plague is that, well, if you fear alien invasion, there's not a lot you can do about it. If you fear plague— you build a castle or something. Well, for, if you fear plague, you know, we do stuff all the time. We develop all kinds of drugs and therapies and vaccines to uh, stave off disease. So worrying about plague is a useful exercise. End of the world number three is singularity, and I'm talking about computer singularity, not we're all going to die in a black hole. This idea of humans versus machines. Oh, yes. um, this yes. idea of like, oh, the Terminator movies. We would be build the, robots that kill us. <laughs> yeah, we build killer robots. We program them not to kill us. Uh, but the programming has been mutated or something. <laughs> yeah, or somebody for, you know, forgot a to burst. They, they they left a one out of the code, yes, and now a they, cosmic you know, there's an, burst, there's an a uprising. flaw in the reactor. Yes, yes. all hell broke Did loose. Did not see that coming. Um, Doggone it! And again, you know, there are there are serious people who worry about the safety of artificial intelligence. Uh, there are people like. Uh, these Ray Kurzweil, some of these singularity people who believe that in a happy and idealistic way, uh, we'll sort of drive ourselves extinct by uploading our brains to computers. And who builds the computers and does anybody just not unplug them? I mean, what if somebody unplugged them? Fortunately, you know, nobody unplugs them and everybody remembers to build the other robots that keep running the power plants that run the computers. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, How hard could that be? End of the world number four, good old war. So nuclear war is something that we actually could do that wouldn't sterilize the planet, but it could wipe out a lot of the planet's population. That's something that could happen right now it at the press of the button. could be happening. The button may have been pushed while we're sitting here. Yeah, well, then nobody will hear the podcast, and so we can say anything. Yeah. I may have just gone to that a little, little too much. The upside of something that we control is that we can do things about it. End of the world number five is something you've probably heard a lot about lately. That would be climate change. Uh, if you wait long enough, there is 100% certainty Earth will become uninhabitable. It will become a sterile place in about a billion years. The sun will get brighter. The oceans will boil. Temperatures will be so high, nothing could live here. 
that's coming, but I don't think anybody worries about a billion years from now. Ah, qu- ah, okay, some people worry about a billion years from now. The question is, you know, are we going to do this to ourselves a whole lot sooner? And one thing that just came out, the planet Venus is this hellish inferno. Surface temperatures are almost 900 degrees Fahrenheit, crushing temperatures. 600 Celsius. Yeah, crushing pressures. The, uh, the thought used to be, oh, this is how Venus always was. There's a new... Research that says that Venus was probably a pleasant and possibly even habitable planet for most of its existence until... Ferns? Green ferns? Could be. Great-looking people? Uh, definitely. Running around or yeah, walking lo- around yeah, lo- pleasantly? Of, yeah, lo- lots of kind of like billowing sort of white linen type clothing. Mm-hmm. In the like breeze, little, in the lovely Venusian yeah, breezes. You're, you're, yeah, you're a little closer to the sun, so you want to dress, dress light. Venus seems to, now seems to have stayed habitable for most of its history, and then something went wrong. So we now have a pretty good sense that a planet can be a happy place that could support life and then flip into hell on almost Earth. On Venus. Here's the thing. You have offered dozens of scientific end-of-the-world scenarios. I do. Every religion worth its sodium chloride has got an end-of-the-world scenario. Uh, people on the street corners here in the New York, New York, you can find somebody with a book yelling, often nowadays with an electronic uh, bullhorn, portable megaphone, electronically boosted megaphone, talking about the end of the world. Why is that? What is it within us that drives us to ponder the end of the world? Well, I, I think it is uh, it's human mortality, and in a sense— uh, it's a, I think it's a, I think it serves a very important evolutionary function uh, if I'm going to I'll be a little speculative here but look the the uh, you know this is the the weird tragedy of being a you know a self-aware organism that uh, you know can ponder uh, the end of its own life uh yeah we need some kind of psychological defense against that so you know we imagine for us an afterlife but we can also you know the fact that we have science and that we can imagine uh you know when the sun is going to burn out, when, you know, when the earth will become uninhabitable, when our galaxy will go black. I mean, there, there are scientists studying all of these things. Uh, that's, some, that's some heavy stuff to lay on us. And so, of course, you, know, you want to be obsessed with you – know, you, you think about it, but you also sort of imagine that there is some way to – either to beat it or that it, that it brings you to some cool new place. So, you know, maybe – you know. Maybe the next, you know, maybe there are other universes. Maybe there are other places uh, that <laughs> that will carry on uh, even after we're gone, or maybe we'll carry on after the Earth is gone. So in the meanwhile, in the meanwhile, I think uh, you know <laughs> I've been here kind of kind of yammering on about eschatology, well, yes. but I think there are some other people. I want to hear what the other organisms. I want to hear what other organisms, planetary orb, yes. have to say or feel about our end of the world. Stick around for more science rules after this. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Science Rules is back. Next on the phone is Dominic, and I believe Dominic has a practical question. Dominic, are you out there? Yep, I'm here. Lay it on us. Yeah, so uh, I'm from Florida, and... You know, what am I going to do when the water rises? Uh, so where do you, like, where, where am I going to go? Are you in South Florida, Central Florida, Northern Florida, Panhandle? I'm in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. So everybody's talking, everybody except your recently elected senator, your former governor. <laughs> everybody's talking about the problem in South Florida. Can you uh, articulate it for our listeners? Well, Florida has slowly been sinking for years, and... You know, there's issues with the Everglades, people building on the Everglades. So people are trying to stop it, at least in Broward County they are. How are they stopping it? Well, there's been a lot of local support trying to stop bills and put bills in place to prohibit people from furthering expansion into the Florida Everglades. I mean uh, construction? Yes. Development is a word people throw around. So do you live in Miami or Miami Beach or some... Oh, you live in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, uh, so I'm in Coconut Creek, just, just north of Fort Lauderdale. So there's a problem in Florida. The whole thing is limestone. And so when yeah. you build a seawall, when people build seawalls, they're effective for a while, but now the water is coming under them. Water's coming up from below in Florida. And from time to time, do you know anybody who got involved in a sinkhole or a sinkhole episode, Dominic? No, but there's been plenty of them around. Yeah, so where water soaks into limestone is just a, it dissolves enough and a catastrophic collapse. So what's going to happen, I believe, is people like you are going to leave. And you're a Floridian. That's, are you native? Yep, born and raised. Yeah, you're proud of Florida. You love the Florida. You're going to just go north in Florida. You're going to go to Orlando or maybe, well, maybe Tallahassee or some exotic place. And then... If everybody does that who lives in Miami Beach and Miami and Fort Lauderdale, there's just going to be a lot of people who are dislocated. Or do you have flooding problems where you are? Um, not in my neighborhood particularly, but in past neighborhoods that I've lived in, yes. So you, you've, Miami, literally, yeah, you've literally moved to higher ground. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a concern that people wanted to live near the beach in Florida. So the valuable land was on the seashore, right on the shore. And then lower-income people lived inland on slightly, ever so slightly higher ground. But as everybody's accepting, except the senator, former governor, accepting the nature of sea level rise, the higher ground, formerly poor neighborhoods are getting gentrified, and the people who live there used to make a regular living are being forced out. It's a crazy situation. What are you planning to do, Dominic, in 20 years? What's your master plan? <laughs> Well, you know, maybe you might give me some guidance to just keep moving north. I don't know. Uh, but eventually, if Florida's not going to be there, I'm going to be north, Georgia, Atlanta, someplace where there's where it's not below sea level. Yeah, well, you start, seriously, you start with Orlando, you know, that kind of thing. The reason, everybody, the ocean is rising is because the ocean's getting bigger uh, by just a schmink, 
just a little bit. I, I mean, because that's a metric unit, right? Uh, well, <laughs> it's a very traditional unit. Yes. Uh, so, in other words, when you have something as big as the Earth's ocean and you warm it a degree Celsius, doesn't sound like much, but the number of joules, the amount of heat energy that you put into something that big is enormous. And, you know, when things get warmer, the molecules move faster and they spread apart and things expand. You know this, everybody. You've tried it. And so the ocean's getting bigger and people are going to have to move. And maybe, Dominic, you'll want to go into the following business, which I imagine in the next couple decades. Dominic's salvage. And you will go back to Miami and then later Miami Beach, where more wealthy people live, and you will salvage all the copper wiring and plumbing and sell it as someone enriching himself from the apocalypse. <laughs> well, when you think about you know, how climate change is going to play out realistically step by step, you know, a lot of it is going to happen in these economic dislocations. You know, you're going to see uh, real estate prices changing. You're going to see, uh, you know, insurance companies deciding they won't insure people. You're going to start to see When zoning. your car wheels are rusting out because there's a king tide every right. few you're, you're, weeks. Right. You're going to see zoning changes. And for some people, it's just going to be, you know, a, a loss of wealth. But as you say, when it ends up that, you know, the wealthy people have moved on and it's mostly the, the poor people, again, not just in the United States, but you think about, you know, in, in Bangladesh and some of these other uh, countries that are that are very close to sea level, there are a lot of people who you know, where the, they can't afford to make those changes and those kinds of economic mechanisms uh, are not going to be effective at relocating people. And that's where those are the people who are going to bear a lot of the brunt of, of rising sea levels and but climate ser- change. Seriously, Dominic, what is your plan, man? You're right there in the midst of this thing. Uh, you know, the hurricanes keep eroding away the beach. So I think once the beach comes to my backyard, then I'll be like, okay, maybe it's time to move. I didn't ask for a beachfront property. Move meaning another mile inland or move like leave entirely? <laughs> leave entirely. That's when I'd be like, all right, now it's time to go because uh, the beach got way closer and it's so, not supposed to be this close. So seriously, Dominic, do you think this reflects the views of your neighbors? This is to say... You know it's a problem. You can see it coming, but it's happening slowly enough where you're concerned with it, but you have other concerns, day-to-day concerns that override this bigger one. And so you're putting off a big decision that you know is coming. Do you think your neighbors feel that same way? Probably. I think most people just like, ah, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will fix it. I'll worry about it later when it's like the utmost importance. Now, of course, it's none of our business, but it's a very traditional question uh, in U.S. culture. What is your business? What do you do uh, for a living? Uh, I work at a copy shop. I I do copies. Yes, you're in a service business. Yes. So your skills are fungible. This is to say you could... You can go somewhere else. Yeah. You could probably get another job just about anywhere right now on earth, uh, on land. Well, I'm sure they're cruise ships. What am I even saying? You get a land, you can get a job anywhere. <laughs> and everybody, when we're talking about sea level rise, we're talking about a few centimeters, a few inches of water on the floor. We're not talking about living at the bottom of the deep end of a pool. It's just when you have that much water on the floor, you can't be there. You're going to leave. You're going to go somewhere, and you can put your house on stilts. But then when you get down the stilt, you're ankle deep in water. So, Dominic, sounds like you're a young guy. Are you? Yes. You're going to be the guy that has to deal with this. So I really appreciate you taking the time to call and hang with us. So once again, Corey, as we talk about anything, 
space exploration, passion for science, astronomy, mm-hmm. oceanography, anything, species, yes. yes, all roads or paths or sea lanes seem to lead to climate change. They seem to lead to climate change. They also seem to lead, more importantly, if I may be so bold, to personal action and personal empowerment. That if you see the problem. You need to vote. You need to become active. You need to bring it up in conversations. You need to do things that help mobilize people and and become part of the solution. Thank you very much for your call, Dominic. That was great. If you would, Matt. Matt, are you out there? Tell us, where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Right on. All right. Hello, Matt. Is it hot enough for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a beautiful day out here. All right. So you have a question about the end of the world. Yes, I do. So my question is... How many people is too many people or too many before the world can't sustain us? You see, when I was coming of age back in the disco era in the 20th century, it was predicted that we would outstrip uh, the food supplies of the earth. We would make too much waste and bury ourselves or pollute ourselves to death. And I think really that was a real threat. But because humankind revved it up with our agriculture— and our hygiene and our sewer systems and our awareness of the importance of preserving the air and water, we have put that off for quite a while. They're going to be, right now, there are seven and a half billion people. They're going to be nine or 10 billion. And I am pretty sure that we will find ways, humans will find ways to sustain ourselves at nine or 10 billion. And then after that, in the late 21st century, the early 22nd century, there will actually be fewer people. The birth rate will go down and uh, the people will continue to innovate and whoever's left will actually eventually, say mid-22nd century, have a pretty high quality of life. The question for me, us, it, right now is, in my opinion, Matt, and I'd like your opinion on my opinion— The question is in the sort of shorter term, as we change the climate very quickly and we have continued to have this very fast population growth. What do you think about that, Matt? And do you, Matt, think there will be too many people to sustain? Yeah, you know, I think it's I think there will be. I mean, to your point, we're going to find a solution to to the 10. But then when we start to hit 15 or 20, there's just not enough viable resources, in my opinion, right now that are going to be worthwhile. What if, Matt, what if we raise the standard of living of girls and women to the point where they continue to have fewer children and the children that they do have are better cared for? And then long about 2070, 2080, here late in the 21st century, the human population actually starts to decline. So we never get to the 12 or 15 billion. What do you think about that? That's a tough question. That's a tough question there, Bill. You know, I think I think it comes down to realistically, could you do it? I mean, I, I just don't I just don't see that people are willing. I mean, going against what your beliefs are, some people think that, you know, having these big families or having, you know, these, these lifestyles that they have are, are, are what's necessary. And it's tough to make somebody's mind change about that. So I think that in practice, yes, it works. But in reality, do I think it would work? I just don't think it would. Matt, what year do you predict the end of the world? Ooh, good Enlighten question. us. If I was going to be a uh, betting man, I'm going to say 2022. 2022? Wait, 2022? Wait, 2022? You Three mean years? Three years? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, um, in about 200 years, you know, I'm thinking that at that point, 
You mean, like 20, 20, 20. you mean like twenty two, twenty two? Yeah, yeah, t- yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, cool. I, I, and that's what I'm thinking. You know, you know, in two hundred years, you know, you start to see, you know, our generation that that is really focused, or the generation before us that is really focused on the environment and everything, and, and trying to make these positive changes. I think that you know, in two hundred years, all the work that they're doing, it's going to make a, a change. But I don't. I think there's just been a lot of damage done that is not going to be enough to reverse it. Twenty two, twenty two. So, so Matt, uh, maybe it's just because I'm a contrarian. But you know, here I've been talking about end of days and extinctions. But when it comes to this question of global population, I'm weirdly an optimist. My feeling is, in many ways, demographics is destiny. You can look at these very long term trends of what happens as incomes rise, as people get more education. And you've seen it across Europe where populations are now declining. See in Russia where the population is declining, in Japan and Korea where the population is declining. You see the birth rates dropping fairly rapidly in sub-Saharan Africa and in India, and in China is basically flattened out. So as long as you're still applying the same factors, if we can keep quality of life improving, if we can keep educating people, there's almost this you know, inexorable trend that people have smaller families and the population flattens out. So as long as we can kind of keep doing the good stuff – I'm with Bill that, you know, population is going to peak out somewhere around 2100. And the interesting thing is, what will humanity look like on the other side? You know, will we have controlled uh, global warming? Will uh, we... Bee populations pollinating enormous crops. Right. Will, will we have learned how to manage the global ecosystem? But Matt, you get at an interesting question of the limits of resources, which I think is really what you're talking about. Are we going to outstrip what the earth can do? Like I said, I don't think human population is on track to exceed what the planet can support. What I find interesting and a little weird in some ways a little disturbing is people like Jeff Bezos is very excited at this idea that in the future we'll have space colonies. We'll be using the resources in the entire solar system and we'll have not just billions of people but trillions of people living in the solar system. Well, that all depends on what kind of lives they're living. Uh, I look at Amazon employees and it makes me just a little nervous of what trillions of citizens of the future uh, Amazon space colonies will be like. But also, what will the solar system look like? What will humanity be like doing that? That's sort of a whole other scenario where we do well, but we do so well. I don't even know what a human species would look like at that point. Still, you can give yourself the creeps. Yes. Nice I question. Can, I can always give myself the creeps. Thank you. Oh, that was great. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time. And, Corey, thank you for giving us the creeps about just about anything. Happy Halloween, everyone. Yes. <laughs> you, uh, trick or treat. <laughs> Science Rules will be right back. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You're listening to Science Rules. Wait, we have, I believe we have one more question. Uh, Ashley, are you on the line? Hey, guys. How's it going? Fabulously. More important, or every bit as importantly, Ashley, for the context of this show, where are you calling from? Brooklyn, New York. Ah, yes. The town's so nice, they named it once. (laughs) 
Ashley, he kids because he loves. Uh, so what's your question? So you guys were talking about the five ways the world could end. And I was just wondering, like, what movie do you think comes closest to each of the five? Ooh, for each of the five. Specific to the cinema. But Ashley, the world's ending. You're out there. You must have given this some thought because you took the time to call in and having thought some thinkful thoughts. What is your end of the favorite end of the world movie? Um, well, I guess my favorite end of the world movie would be uh, <laughs> would be um, Mad Max Fury Road. I just think it's like it's got everything. So it has like the fact that like climate change is like there's no more water. Um, and then it has, like, how the people survive and, like, the hope that is there. Oh, yeah. That is pre- that is very troubling situation out there in the, in the outback. Okay, we got five categories, one movie per category. Okay, end of the world from a plague movie. Plague. Uh, well, if you're thinking about, like, a zombie plague, uh, 28 Days Later was a pretty good one. Very troubling. Very troubling. All right. Uh, how about um, end of the world by uh, human-made machines that kill us all? Oh, we got to go with the Terminator. Who doesn't oh, love a good Terminator? Sure. Time travel an issue that's hard to do. But if you're going to end the world, I guess uh, there's really uh, – there are no rules. Yeah. Well, let's say if you only imagine the Terminator up to the point before they, the Terminator comes back in time. The original doomsday part of the Terminators, you know, that's pretty good. Sure it is. <clears throat> Having sex with your friend's mother and then you're creating some, it's a little That's the time travel part. There's no sex. End of the world by war. I have a favorite. Uh, well, The Day After is that's the classic it. one. It's, that, just, that, it's so creepy. That is the classic one. And if I've, they just I've, stopped right after the rocket shoot, if they'd stopped right there... Go to black. I rewatched it recently. For those who don't remember, it, this was actually a, an ABC television movie at back in the days when there were three networks and nothing else to watch. And that day that this movie aired, nobody was out on the street. It's, everybody it, was home watching really is, the world end with this nuclear Super war. Super Bowl kind of thing. All right. End of the world by catastrophic uh, earth conditions. Soylent Green. Oh, yes. Now, Silent Green, a lot of people know this movie just from the parody of its last scene where Charlton Heston is running around. His character. His character. He's running around saying uh, he's discovered this this food they're eating in the future called Soylent Green is actually made out of people. And so he's running around saying, it's people. Because they, they... – Well, so if you go back and watch the movie, the whole movie, it's, you know, it's a disaster movie. It was made in the 70s at a very – different kind of cinematic time. It's a very slow-paced movie. It's imagining a future uh, in which the world has been kind of cooked by global warming. Food supply has been tightly constricted. Humanity has sort of banded together. They've still figured out how to feed each other, but part of the way they feed each other is you recycle dead bodies and you keep eating people because, you know... It's a lot of protein. Yeah, agriculture is failing. The planet is kind of falling apart. What's striking about it is, first of all, there's a movie in the 70s this is like way before people were talking about global warming that's imagining a world that has been totally kind of kind of racked and traumatized by global warming, by climate change. Uh, so all these people who say, oh, in the 70s, we were all worried about global cooling. What about that? Uh, no. Watch Soylent Green. That's not what people were worried about in the 70s. But it addresses all these things like how will society deal with it? How will poor people deal with a terrible climate how we deal with the food supply. It's a weirdly realistic thing. Uh, unfortunately, people only remember Charlton Heston going, well, it's people. I know, but at least they remember that. At least they remember that. And hey. what it has to do, once again, is you see the disaster coming. 
The disaster has to do with lack of resources and then humans competing with each other instead of all getting along. Aliens. Uh, alien invasion. There's. I've never seen an alien invasion movie that that rings oh, true. Oh, come on. Uh, invasion of the Martians where the guy has a dream that his father has been given an implant uh, and he's become one of the drones or the the, the trogs, one of the manipulatees. Oh, actually, you know actually, yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original okay, one, so was pretty good with the pods. He wakes up. <laughs> he wakes up and it's it, it's it's not a dream. It's happening. Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your call, Ashley. Bye, guys. So, 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 Corey, Corey, pull back. No, pull back. Bill, you need a minute. Bill, Bill. What's your minute? So we're talking about all these end-of-the-world scenarios, and here is the thing that drives me crazy, which is, like you said, we can see it coming. Right now, we need clean energy. It wouldn't take that much investment to make it happen. We need better ways for treating infectious disease. It wouldn't take that much investment to make it happen. There are a lot of problems we have right now that if we banded together and we put a little government effort to work, we put a little collective effort to work, and we were more methodical about it, we could be solving our okay, problems. Okay, who's we? We starts with how do we do things collectively, Bill? How do we do it? But hold it. Everybody knows, Corey, taxes are evil. You're part of the problem, Bill. You and your everybody you and your should crazy, build their own sewer you and your crazy anti-collective, <laughs> anti-solution, don't save the world philosophy is what's causing these problems. Bill, Every- it's time for you to embrace save the world. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is there are ways that we can harness science and technology to make life better. It just takes some collectivism. It takes pulling together of minds. We can do this, people. We just have to have the will. So just in the same way, we put people on the moon for a couple hours. Let's come up with some fabulous new way to produce electricity here on the Earth's surface that's clean. Let's get her done. Let's get her done, Bill. Nicely minute taken. Thank you. But, Corey, this has been a great show. Uh, it has been— uh, I, may, I may admit that I was skeptical going in. Uh, and yet here we are making the most out of this short, miserable existence of ours. I think it's uh, pretty you know, cool. Hey, you know, there's only one life, and we have no idea why we're here. We have no idea why the universe is here, but we want to make the most of it. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to curl up in a ball, or are you going to say, we want a good life? And so by pondering the end-of-the-world scenarios, which you have so charmingly so, presented— So ponderously pondered. And our callers helped us call— Uh, We can consider the future and maybe do something about it. And think about the fact that it is just marvelous, unbelievable, mind-blowing, fantastical that we are here, that we are alive, that we have agency and the ability to control our lives and control our planet. I mean, what what an incredible opportunity. Don't waste it. That's right. And if you guys, this is an insight for all of you out there who are thinking sad thoughts. If you could not control where you were going to be born— on the earth, but you could control when. You have no control over where, but you could control when. This is the time you'd want to be born. Strangely enough, uh, as all these apocalyptic scenarios are clear enough or you can articulate them well enough, really, things are better for more of us than they've ever been in human history. And so by pondering the apocalypse and considering pestilence, disease, war, and then ultimately the end of days and death, We are reminded that we have tremendous opportunities to do great things. 
dare mighty things, as uh, Ted Roosevelt pointed out. And let us go out there, my friends, and dare I say it, prevent the world from being destroyed. So remember, when it comes to the apocalyptic part of our universe, science rules. If you like Science Rules, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. So thank you. Be sure to look at uh, my socials for when you want to call into the show. I'm at Bill Nye on, on, on everything, on the gram, on the facing of the book and all those things. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at 201-472-0785. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell with extra production from our intern Lisa Wang and from Ashley Warren. Our engineer today is Casey Holford. Mixing and original theme music were also by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Claire Rawlinson and Ashley Warren. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer here at Stitcher, where science rules and, of course, happy Halloween. That was that was fun for me. <laughs> Stitcher. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free.